this morning, we're talking about getting the big picture, like getting the big overview of the Bible. My hope is that you would walk away, and for many, this feels a little intense, a little scary, um, perhaps even overwhelming, that you would understand the big picture or the big story of the Bible and walk, okay, I understand how it kind of fits together. And here's why getting the big picture is so important. How many of you have tried to do a 1,500-piece puzzle without the box top? (laughs) Okay. Yeah, you have. Me too. It's terrible. Right? You ever do it without, I mean, a 100-piece, I can do that. Okay, I don't mean to brag, but I can. But like a 1,500-piece puzzle, all of a sudden, you're looking at it and not sure where the piece is, what it all is, even what is the big picture. And so oftentimes when we approach the Bible, it feels like a 1,500-piece puzzle, but we don't have the box top. We don't have the picture and understand how all the pieces fit together. Another reason why this is important is how many of you have ever walked into the end of a conversation? You ever had that? Yeah. You walk in at the end of a conversation and you don't understand the context of what's just been said and you're trying to catch up or you totally misunderstand the other person. Sometimes I've had this happen where I hear and I'm offended because I think they're talking about me. You ever had that happen? Yeah. And, 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 you, and you realize, no, you just missed the whole backstory. And so oftentimes, that's what happens to us with the Bible as well, is we miss the whole backstory and so misunderstand little snippets or little uh, sound bites. And so I want to give you the backstory. I want to give you the big story. Uh, As I was thinking about this as well, I was reminded of a time going to... Um, the movies with my family, and we decided to take my parents along. And how many in this room saw the new Star Wars? Okay. For those who didn't see it, I'm going to spoiler it, but it's been like eight months, so you should have seen it. (laughs) So I go with my, we bring my parents along with, my kids love Star Wars. They've seen all six of them. And we go and we're hanging out. We're having a blast. And if you know the story of Star Wars, uh, it centers around this one Jedi named Luke Skywalker, right? And going through, and the whole Force Awakens is about this journey to find Luke Skywalker. And at the very end of the movie, you have Rey, who has been on this quest, extending the lightsaber to Luke Skywalker, who's standing on a mountain by himself. It's such a weird thing. I don't know, like, what he's doing. I don't get it. And, and it's just like this circling, epic, you know, moment. And everyone's like, oh. You know, and, and this is amazing. We get out of the theater. My kids are just hyped up. Everything's, you know, boom, boom, boom. My mom looks at me and goes, now who's Luke Skywalker? <laughs> Here's the reality. For many of us, we've heard the Bible and there's parts of it that we get. And yet, because we don't know the big picture or the main character or understand it in its context, there's so much of it that we miss. This morning, uh, if you got your notes, would you open them up? I want to talk about getting the big picture of what the Bible is about. 
See, fundamentally here as followers of Jesus, we believe the Bible is God's self-revelation to us. Telling his story of love for us. That that it's God's self-revelation. That this isn't just any old book. This is God's book. That as Paul wrote to Timothy, that all scripture, all the word of God is God-breathed. That it is infused with the very words of God. Not only that, but it's telling his story of love for us. And so starting out this morning, I think one of the things that's important, because when we kind of have the puzzle pieces, when we think about the Bible and the big picture, sometimes we think about the Bible, or at least use it this way, that it's a reference book. And it's not that that's necessarily bad or wrong, but it's not necessarily a reference book. It's not a book to go to, well, what about this? And I don't know about child rearing, so I'm going to go over here, and I don't know about money, and I'm going to go check out that. That's not necessarily bad, but that's not the full big picture of the Bible. It's not a self-help book. I think that's kind of how many of us in the Western world approach the Bible is, is I just want to get in here to somehow get my life a little bit better. And that's what I want. And I get in here and I want to just whatever can help me be a little bit better. But that's not necessarily what it is. It's not a rule book even. Either. I think many of us think of it as a rule book, as something, well, thou shalt not, boom, boom, and thou shalt, and all these, and certainly there are their commands, absolutely. But that's not fundamentally what this book is about. The Bible is God's self revelation of who he is, telling his story of love for us. And so if it is a story, then we have to ask, okay, who wrote the story? Who's the author of this? Now, here's the thing. I'm going to go through this a little quick because I think for many, you get this. But we just haven't talked about it much together. But the authorship is God plus human. It's both. Sometimes we get confused on this. Peter said it this way, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets through human spoke from God as they were carried along by the Spirit. That, that the authorship of this book, and as you know, and we talked about a little bit last week, that there's not just one book, it's 66 different books that God spoke to people in their day, in their way. In fact, Scott McKnight in Blue Parakeet, there you go, said the Bible, God chose to communicate in language, since language is always shaped by context, and since God chose to speak to us over time through many writers, God also chose to speak to us in a variety of ways and expressions. Inspiration, N.T. Wright said it this way, Inspiration is a shorthand way of talking about the belief that by his Spirit, by the Spirit of God, guided the very different writers and editors so that the books they produced were the books God intended his people to have. And so we believe that the Bible is God's self-revelation 
to us, telling his story of love for us, and that he inspired, that he is God-breathed, that the authors of each of these individual books within it all tell one unfolding story of God in unity about his story, about his story of love for each and every single one of us. And you've experienced this. I've heard this this expression even after a Sunday. When you talk about inspiration, about hearing from God, about God using a person to speak to you. I've heard it from preparing out of God's word, speaking his word. And then sometimes some of you come up and go, how'd you know? How do I know what? You talked about exactly what I was going through. I was wrestling through that exact same thing. How'd you know? I didn't know. No prophecy originated in itself, but spoke from God as they carried along in the Holy Spirit that God was actually in the midst. God was working. The Spirit is moving. So who wrote the Bible? God plus man. God inspiring and breathing. Not actually, um, by the way, um, he cooperated with their personality, with their culture, spoke in their day in their way. And the main character of this book, it's really important. Because the main character is not how we actually generally read this book. See, when I look at it as a self-help book, who's the main character? When I look at it as a reference book, who's the main character? When I look at it as a rule book, when I look at it, and so the main character starts all the way in the beginning, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, hang on, I got to get there. God. In the beginning. So before time began is another way to say that. Before there was a beginning, God. Before it all came into existence, God. That the main character of this book, the main character of all of history is God. It's about him that we exist for him and for his glory. It is all about God. And it's not just God in the way you think God to be. God as he revealed himself to be. See, so often we become our own authority and judge what is good or what is God based on our preference, based on our feelings, based on whatever cultural reality we live in. And at some point, either you are God and you get to make the decisions, or God is God and he gets to make the decisions, but you can't have both. It's said that in the beginning, God made mankind, humanity in his own image, and we've been returning the favor ever since. (laughs) That we just keep making God in our own image. The main character is God. As revealed in the Bible is one God, three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. 
And yes, there, that's a mystery and that's hard and I don't fully understand it all, but it makes so much sense to one of the deep longings of your soul. Do you know why we have a social media? Of all the things that we could do with the internet, because one of the deep cravings of our soul is to belong. Do you know why we crave to belong? Because we are made in the image of our creator. For all of eternity has existed in perfect unity and community, the Father, Son, and Spirit. And as image bearers, we were created and designed to be in community and unity and oneness. And that is the deep craving of your soul because that's how you and I were designed to be. And it goes all the way back to the nature and the character of God himself. One last point, and then we'll move on to the story. If God's the subject of the story, what does that make us? (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you could do that way, though. I guess in some senses, sometimes. The objects of his love, absolutely. For God, what is that? Uh, John 3.16, maybe a few of you heard of it. For God, uh, subject, so loved the world. Now love being a verb always has to have an action, so he gave his only son. Object, us. Subject, God. Life makes most sense for you, by the way. When God is the subject and you are the object. When your life revolves around God and you don't ask God to revolve around you. Great pain, great frustration, relationships, tear down, break down. When we make our lives the subject. It was, we were never designed to exist that way. And it brings pain and suffering and dysfunction. In the beginning, God. It's about him, it's for him, and it's all because of him. The Bible, we just simply believe this, as followers of Jesus, is God's self-revelation to us. That's his story of love to us. So I just want to tell you the big picture of the story. And for some of you, you you have the pieces, and many you may even already know the big narrative, the meta-narrative, the big story of the Bible, that all 66 of these books tell one story, that they talk about one either part of the story and share this incredible story of God's unfading, unfailing, undiminishing love towards you. So here's the plot line of the Bible from beginning to end. This begins with Act 1, creation. In the beginning, God, the first two chapters, Genesis 1 and 2. And if we can get beyond the whole argument, like because the Bible isn't a science book, let's, let's just 
lay aside and there's an, I have a professor coming in in two weeks and you can ask him all the hard questions, okay? And that'll be great. We're going to do Q&A. It'll be fantastic. But let's just set it aside because it wasn't written to be a science book. And we look at this and, and try to force our own cultural narrative on it. But the first two chapters are so powerful because they describe what we were made for and who we were made to be. In the garden, God created humanity. Adam literally means humanity. God created humanity in the imago Dei. That's the Latin for the image of God. That every single person you come across is an image bearer of God. Every single person on this planet has, has in essence, the imago Dei in them. And so they have intrinsic value. No matter where they've been, no matter what they've done, they have intrinsic value. And it should change the way we treat every single person. It should change the way we look at every single person because you have never come across an ordinary person. You have walked next to immortals. The Imago Dei. The prevailing word that comes over that first two chapters is the word shalom. It's the word peace. It's the peace of God. Life as it was intended to be. Life in the order and design that we are created for. The garden, Eden, was the place of human flourishing. The place of oneness. A place where we were at peace with ourselves. We are at peace and one with God. And peace and one with one another. Now, we know the second part of the story. Many of us do. That didn't last too long. In fact, if you look at it, it only lasted a few chapters, or not even a few chapters, a few verses. Like, come on, guys. Four seconds, according to the way I read. Moves from creation in the Imago Dei, then to the fall. And you know the story, many of us know the story that, that in the garden God created and put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and said, don't eat of that. And sometimes you wrestle with, well, couldn't he just not put that there? And I get that. Let me just give you the real short answer because we can sit down and you know, talk about the long answer. But here's the reality. Made as an image bearer of God, we are made fundamentally for what we just talked about, relationship. We're made for loving, unity, and community, and oneness. The problem with relationship, the problem with love, is it always demands a choice. If I am unable to choose whether I want to love you or not, it is no longer love. If I am forced to love you, it is coercion. It is not love. If I have no other choice, it is simply an automatic response or automated response, robotic response. And in the garden, there is a choice. Do we choose to rely and lean on God or to go our own way? And in that moment, humanity said, I'm going to go my own way in the fall. And we lived in a cracked world. We live in a broken world. We live, as Romans 8 says, in a world that is groaning. The earth itself groans and longs for restoration. Because we're experiencing the cracked Imago Dei. We're experiencing the pain of rebellion. 
We, we live in a world where the impact, just think about this, when, when, when humanity rebelled, it first started with yourself. The first response, the first response was an awareness of self. First response to the cracked Imago day was this. Think about this. Shame. It said before, they were naked and unashamed, and now all of a sudden, insecurity became their identity. And then when it impacted our relationship with God, where you had oneness with God, now you're hiding. And we've been doing it ever since because we become aware of who we are, and we are ashamed, and our identity becomes insecurity, and so we go into hiding. And then it impacts every other relationship. You know what they did? God asked, where are you? What? Who told you you're naked? And they begin to blame. That's what we do in relationships. We just blame and we push out. And we push the oneness away to otherness. Act one, creation. Created, garden, made for flourishing. Act two, the fall. Act three, I call wilderness. And if you move from, um, oh, you know what? I had East of Eden. Can I, this is just kind of a cool nerdy thing, so can I get nerdy with you real quick? <laughs> so when Adam, thank you, one nerd in the group. I love you. So here's really, this, this is really fun. So, so when Adam and Eve rebelled, God sent them out of the garden. Do you know what direction you should know what direction he sent them? East. Yeah, east of Eden. Um, Steinbeck novel. Uh, and he sent them east of Eden. And that became a literary device that you see of just the, through the Old Testament of w- walking away from God, walking away from Shalom, walking away from who you were designed to be and made to be. So that when Cain, uh, Cain killed Abel, he went after that where? East. One of the pinnacles of rebellion was at the Tower of Babel. You know what it says? They went eastward. Now, when God called Abraham, here we go, Act 3, the wilderness covenant community, is the act where humanity is desperately trying to work their way back to God, work their way back into unity and community and peace. And when God called Abraham, he said, go to the land I'll show you. You know what direction he went? West. You're journeying back to Eden. You're journeying back to the garden. You know, the temple, when God gave the designs for the temple, you know, he put the entrance to the temple on the east side. So every time you entered the temple, you had to go west. As if just to say, this is what you're designed for and to journey back to restoration, back into relationship. And fundamentally, you can look from Genesis 12 to Malachi and you'll watch a people over and over trying to return back to their original design. But the conclusion is in and of ourselves, our best efforts can't return back to the way we're created to be. And so, Act 4, redemption. Act 4, a new covenant. Act 4, 
is where in our darkest hour, in our most hopeless moment, when in reality all our best efforts fall short, God comes in flesh. Jesus. To live the life we could not. To die for what we were unable to even pay for. And then to come back to life, to bring us back into relationship, to bring us back into oneness, to bring peace, to bring shalom to your soul, to bring purpose and life, that redemption would happen, a new covenant in Christ Jesus. We just said it, John 3.16. It's the story of God's love for you. That this book, from beginning to end, is his self-revelation telling his story of love. That he loves you so much. Regardless of where you've been, regardless of what you've done, regardless of the shame and the insecurity and what you feel about you, he loves you so much that he pursued you in your darkest hour, pursued you in your most wayward moment. He pursued you and says, I love you. And you can't go far enough where his love can't go. That's redemption. Sack four. And it's an invitation for every single person. Would you place your faith and trust in Act 4, in Jesus? You know what I love? Is God gives us the end story as well. Because the reality is, is for many of us, we live between Act 4 and Act 5, don't we? Act 5 is new creation. Act 5 is a return to the garden, a new Eden. Act 5 is a return to shalom and life as it was intended to be. And yet we live between Act 4 and Act 5. And one day he will right every wrong. One day he will restore all things to the, the way they were designed to be. One day the conquering king will come and sin will be vanquished. Evil will be demolished and all things good will rise. Because we have a risen king. And yet we live in the tension of Act 4 and Act 5. We live, as the gospel writer spoke over and over, of hope. A confidence today because we have a risen Savior that has declared one day he will restore and make all things right. So no matter how hard, no matter how painful, no matter the size of the storms, we live with hope because we have a risen Savior who's coming again to restore. And often the world we live in feels a lot like Act 2 and Act 3, doesn't it? Fall, active pain and rebellion and wilderness, wandering, a wondering, how do I get back? How do I return? A hunger, but not knowing where to be satisfied. 
This week, we've experienced a lot of Act 2 and Act 3, haven't we? Our country is reeling. I'm reeling. I, I literally, I just, um, can't, was it Thursday or Friday? I can't remember which day now. But I just, I, I used to be a musician. Now I just play guitar. Um, but I, I picked up my guitar and I just started singing and crying to God. Because all that we see is not people made in the image of God treating one another as image bearers of God, but we see exploitation and hate and pain and revenge, and we see Act 2 and we see Act 3. And by the way, what I read of Christians online disgusts me. We are called to be a voice of hope. To the hopeless. We are called to extend love and grace. We are called to be known by love because we are in the story of God's love. We're in His story, declaring His glory. He is all about us. And the otherness, the brokenness that we experience breaks His heart, broke Him to action, moved Him to action. Not go suck it up, not go do better, but let me take it for you. I don't have a whole lot of answers about what's going on, and if I did, I'd be skeptical of me too. I do know every single person on this planet God loves, God died for, Every single person on this planet is an image bearer of the King Most High and has dignity and value. Doesn't matter what they say, what they believe, where they come from, every single person. What would it look like for us as followers of Jesus, to step into his story and begin to extend his love. I don't have the answer for that. And I think God wants you to wrestle with that and wants me to wrestle with it, that we would wrestle with what does it look like for us to step into his story of love and become agents of love to a hurting and broken world. Or we wouldn't just shoot out stupid posts without thinking about it. Sorry, I just got really frustrated at people this week. Probably wasn't very loving of me. So I don't have an answer to that. In fact, I literally cut the sermon in half this week as a result. You know, like in half. Wow. That's <laughs> praise God. <laughs> But here's what I do want to do. I want to pray. I want to pray as the people of God. I want us to get on our knees and pray for our country. 
I want to get on our knees and pray for those who are filled with hate, that respond in hate, regardless of what side anything is. I want us to get on our knees and pray against evil and injustice and oppression. I want us to get on our knees and be the church and stand in the gap and pray that God would show up and his mercy would reign in this place. I love Felicia sent me, uh, was it Second Chronicles 7-9, I think it is? Huh? 7-14. If my people who are called by my name, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and call unto me, I will hear them and forgive them and heal their land. And we step into that story today.